iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yo, technology, what is it all about? People still are clinging to this idea that aging is some kind of enigma, some kind of mystery. It's nonsense. And the reason it's nonsense is because aging is simply a phenomenon of physics. Hello. As you can probably tell, I am not in an office or anything. I'm in my car. Driving through scenic Mountain View. And when I say scenic, it's not that scenic. It's just a bunch of office parks. But anyway, I'm about to uh, go meet up with Aubrey de Grey, who is a British scientist. And he's doing some fascinating research into anti-aging. And his basic thesis is that we're not that far from reaching longevity scape of velocity which in other words means that pretty soon we'll be living maybe two thousand two thousand three thousand maybe even a million years i know that sounds crazy but he's working on this stuff he's a total believer he's got some serious backing from none other than peter Thiel. so we're gonna go sit down and have a word with him um it should be a fascinating conversation see what he has to say Good morning. How are you? Good afternoon or whatever. Come here, please. Are you having a beer? For lunch? I love it. I'm from England, you see. Aubrey de Grey, thank you for taking the time. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. How long do you think you're going to live? I have a bimodal probability distribution for that, which means that... It all depends on how soon we make the key breakthroughs in pushing back the ill health of old age. And when we do make those breakthroughs, they will essentially be complete. So that means that either I will make the cut or I won't. If I do make the cut, that's unlimited. It's likely to be more than four digits. More than four digits. That's right. So the least likely alternative is that I'll be somewhere in the middle in the three-digit range. That's the least likely. That's right. It's more likely that I'll be either two or four than three. So you'll more likely either live to, say, 80 say or 2,000. Or more. That's what I meant by bimodal. <laughs> That's very bimodal. We are here in HQ of the SENS Research Foundation. So maybe if we can start there, what, it, what this place is and what you're doing here and how that fits all together. Sure, yes. So SENS Research Foundation here in Mountain View, California, is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we do biomedical research. We are interested in developing new medicines that will rejuvenate the body. In other words, will repair the damage that the body does to itself throughout life that constitutes aging, the damage that accumulates over time and eventually gets to a point where the body is not set up to tolerate and therefore causes ill health and eventually death. 
So what that means is that we, first of all, have a clear understanding of what that damage is, what the types of change at the molecular and cellular level are that accumulate over life. And then we have particular strategies for going about doing something about those things, actually eliminating that damage, not necessarily perfectly, but eliminating a large amount of it. We pursue those research programs both here in our facility, where we have a few thousand square feet of lab space, and also in universities and institutes that we support extramurally, so to speak. So we're still pretty small. Our budget is only around $4 million per year. I'm very proud of what we've achieved over the past several years in terms of making real breakthroughs that have unlocked research areas that were basically log-jammed for more than a decade. Additionally, we are increasingly over the past few years, we've been able to spin out our research programs one after another into actual startup companies, which of course unlocks more funding from people who don't like giving money away, but who are very supportive of the mission and visionary and interested in happy to support high-risk, high-reward investments. But to come back to how that links up to your question about longevity, longevity, of course, is a side effect of health. The only way we're going to get people to live longer is by keeping them healthy longer. And that I always like to emphasize right at the beginning of any interview or any talk, really, because it dispels the idea that we're going to keep people alive in a bad state of health. And it also answers and eliminates pretty much all of the so-called ethical objections that people have to the idea. Because there's this question of health span versus lifespan. Right, right. There's no versus involved. Health span confers lifespan. Rejuvenation buys time. If we develop therapies, let's call these things sense 1.0, okay? First, the first iteration, the first generation of rejuvenation therapies that are reasonably comprehensive. They could be applied to people who are, let's say, 60 years old. Those people would be sufficiently well rejuvenated that they wouldn't be biologically 60 again until they were chronologically, let's say, 90. If we can do that, then we have bought 30 years. But also, we have bought the research community 30 years of time to develop Sense 2.0, which can be applied to the same people at the age of 90. If we gave those people Sense 1.0, it wouldn't do anything because the damage that they now have is damage that, by definition, Sense 1.0 did not work on. But if we have, by 30 years later, succeeded in improving the therapies quite a bit, then we will be able to repair some of the hard damage and get people out so that they won't be biologically 60 for the third time until they're chronologically, let's say, 150. I actually so you keep swapping out the parts. Okay, the difference between repair and replacement is actually also rather a semantic difference because mm. it really just depends what scale you're looking at. The key point is that the quality of repair, the comprehensiveness of repair, need never become 100%. It just has to approach 100% at a sufficiently rapid rate to stay one step ahead of the problem. And that rate turns out to be really modest. So I've called this longevity escape velocity. This is the phrase that I coined to denote the minimum rate at which we have to improve the comprehensiveness of these therapies subsequent to the development of Sense 1.0 in order to stay one step ahead of the problem. And if we do that, if we achieve escape velocity, then effectively we can live forever. Forever-ish. Indefinitely, that's right, yeah. Basically, we will only be subject to causes of death that are independent of how long ago we were born. Like I get hit by Whether a car. Whether it's being hit by a truck or the planet being hit by an asteroid or whatever, yeah. But just stepping back into this problem, what's the kind of the first step? Is it right, you, step get, is- you get old and then things start going wrong? Like I just turned 40 and anything I do, it takes me longer to recover, blah, 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 than it would in my 20s. And I feel like that just probably continues and then you get into your 60s and 70s and it becomes 
cumulative to a point where things actually important start breaking down, which lead to other problems, etc. Exactly right. The key point is we have to drill down to the molecular and cellular level and understand what's really going on that's different in a 40-year-old body or a 60-year-old body relative to a 20-year-old body that causes that diminution of performance, both mental and physical, of course. And the thing is that we've done that. Not we as sense research version, but the research community. All of the major categories of molecular and cellular damage that we study were discovered, and not just discovered, but actually studied extensively starting at latest in the early 1980s. So we're talking like 35 years it's been since anything new of any real significance was actually discovered when it comes to the nature of damage. Of course, we're constantly discovering new things about the mechanisms that create that damage. And we're also discovering new things about the mechanisms whereby the damage leads to ill health. But it turns out that those two types of knowledge are actually irrelevant to all of this. We don't need to know much about either of those things in order for this whole rejuvenation approach to work. Because the idea of the rejuvenation approach, the damage repair approach, is that we can let our bodies generate new damage at the normal rate. And we're just repairing it afterwards, right? Does effectively that mean that the scientific hurdles you have to clear are lower? Until I came along, really, there was no plan. Gerontology, the study of the biology of aging, was a research area for people who liked to do research and understand nature. And it was basically unfashionable and indeed almost unacceptable within the research community to even talk about doing something about aging because it was considered to be so impossible. And certainly that remains true if we are restricting ourselves to trying to clean up our metabolism so that damage is created at a slower rate than it naturally would be. But what I did, I came along and pointed out a shortcut that sidestepped all of that ignorance. Is gerontology basically the the attempt to slow down aging? When I talk about the gerontology approach to combating aging, then yes, I talk about the approach that encapsulates the slowing down of the rate at which the body generates damage, right. as opposed to doing something one step further down the downstream, namely repairing the damage after it has come into existence, but before it has accumulated to a pathogenic level. Essentially, we are taking advantage of the window of opportunity that evolution has created for us here. The fact that evolution has needed to create damage maintenance, damage containment mechanisms that are sufficiently good to allow us not to die of aging before we have reproduced. So that's why we don't go downhill all that much until we're 30 or 40 or 50. If we didn't have that window of opportunity, we'd be screwed, but we do. We can afford for a certain amount of damage to accumulate before we do anything. And that similarly means that we can afford to fix only a proportion of the damage in order to achieve a buying of time. I was doing a bit of reading before uh, I showed up here, and it's basically you have broken down the process of aging into kind of seven different pathways or factors. Don't call it the process of aging. Don't call it pathways. Call it types of damage. The processes that generate that damage are what I am deliberately taking out of the equation. It's only the nature of the damage itself that matters. Getting back to this question, the bimodal question, you can either live to 80 or 90 or two or three thousand or two or three million or whatever or two or three million what needs to happen to get to the latter basically all that needs to happen is the research needs to come to fruition we are still 
at an early stage in the development of quite a number of the most vital components of this panel of interventions, these damage repair therapies. At this point, by far the most major contributor to our going slower than we might is lack of funding. Lots of research could be getting done faster than it is, or being done when it's not being done at all, if there were more resources. The resources that are becoming focused on this are in large part being misspent. They're being spent on things that people like myself are perfectly aware are not going to work. So, for example, the Google guys. That's a great Cal- Calico, they put in, what, $700 million. It's the most well-funded anti-aging company, I think, in the world. The rumor is that when Art Levinson was hired as CEO and he asked Larry Page what his budget was, Larry said... We'll tell you when we run out of money. Right. So you get the idea. I get the idea. Um, It's being utterly misspent as far as anybody can tell. Of course, they behave the way that companies that don't need money tend to behave. Namely, they don't talk much about what they're Yeah, they're hermetically sealed, yeah. But you can still figure out a fair amount about what they're doing just from whom they hire. The fact is they've hired fantastic researchers. It wasn't until I got into this field in my late 20s that I understood how profoundly different that mindset and those skill sets are from the skill set that we need here, which is the ability to develop pioneering technology to manipulate nature as opposed to understanding it better. And in particular, the ability to see what one can do with what one already understands. The idea that one might understand enough to be able to do something useful just doesn't compute for a basic scientist. The reason I got this understanding of the difference in mindsets is actually from my ex-wife, who was a very successful and very smart basic scientist all her life. I began to realize after a couple of years of accidentally learning a lot of biology over the dinner table with her that we were never talking about aging. And it would turn out that she wasn't interested in aging. And I would say, well, why not? And she would say, well, you know, it's decay, isn't it? And I would say, well, it's bad for you, this aging thing. And she would say, well, that's not my problem. It's kind of everybody's problem. It took me another couple of years after that kind of conversation to actually really sufficiently come to terms with this to actually decide that I should quit doing artificial intelligence research, which I was doing perfectly successfully. The brief aside there, so you've, you started this, the Sense Research Foundation when? Sense Research Foundation itself began in 2009. 2009. It had a precursor foundation called the Methuselah Foundation, which started in 2003. And you've got backing from Peter Thiel. How did that transpire? Because he's obviously famously very interested in this. Sure. He just liked the sound of what I was saying. He felt that it rang true. And so he said, all right, here's some money. Does he remain the kind of the main funder of this? It's gone up and down between, I think, the lowest it's ever been is a quarter of a million in a a given year. The highest it's ever been is probably, I think, 1.2 million. I think there's only been one year where he gave us nothing in that whole, like, 12 years. He has, for a long time, been the number one funder. Now, as of the past couple of months, actually, we've had some very, very nice news in terms of new funding. We got two and a half million almost from Vitalik Buterin, the guy who founded Ethereum. I saw that. Yeah. The volume of Ethereum has... I mean, actually, if he'd waited another month, we would have got more. But uh, but, uh, <laughs> but he, maybe he would have given us fewer Ethereum. I don't yeah. know. Um, but yes, I was very happy with all of that. So and he contributed, course, but he gave it to you in Ethereum. Yes, and it was our job to figure out what the hell to do about that. Did um, you sell already? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, in well, fact, we are required well, to. As a 501c3, as a public charity, we are not allowed to speculate, which ah. basically means that we have to convert any cryptocurrency we receive into something 
less volatile, in fact, as unvolatile as possible, which basically means dollars for us because almost all of our expenditure is in dollars. Okay. And we, as you probably also saw, we have received four million from other from three other all anonymous Bitcoin donors. Four million in Bitcoin. Four million in Bitcoin, two point four in Ethereum, that's right. So you got six and a half million in cryptocurrency. Thereabouts. What in the last two, three months? Since mid December. Wow. I mean, is there a crossover in terms of what you're doing and the people that run Enormous. In terms of the community, it's no surprise at all because early adopters of something like that are bound to be people who very heavily intersect with people who are interested in technological progress. Plus, also, there's an age thing. So Buterin is in his early 20s. Out of the other three anonymous donors, there's one of them who has told us who he is. He's also in his early 20s. Do you have? Do you guys have a Bitcoin account, or how, oh, yeah. does, that, how does that arrive? We've been taking Bitcoin. We've supported donations of Bitcoin for two years now, I think. Oh, okay. You know, these are people who have never had to work out how to think about this. They have grown up just knowing that aging was a medical problem that needs to be solved. They have never been subject to what I've called the pro-aging trance. And what is that? I came up with that phrase well over, probably 15 years ago, when okay. I started having conversations with people about the defeat of aging. They were like, well, obviously, aging's a good thing. You know, it gets rid of people. And, you know, dictators would live forever if we didn't have aging, things like that. I mean, these would be intelligent, smart people who would say perfectly rational things in, t- in any other field of life. And they would come up with these unbelievably ridiculous concerns and reasons to reject the idea that defeat of aging was either a good idea or or potentially possible. And I realized that this was very reminiscent of something that had happened to me in my early life. It was in my first year at Cambridge. I went to a stage hypnotist show. The hypnotist would get a guy on stage and get him into a really, really deep trance, then would tell the guy and make sure the guy believed something that wasn't true the hypnotist got the guy to believe that this was actually his right elbow and this was his left elbow. Exchange the elbows, that's right. right. And didn't explore, of course, the implications. And then he said, all right, now I would like you to touch your right elbow with your left forefinger. So, of course, there was a whole lot of wriggling and writhing and everyone was laughing and that was all very interesting. But that was not the coup de grace. That was not the key point of the show. (laughs) The key point of the show is what happened next. The hypnotist says, okay, like, you can stop now. And the guy stops. And the hypnotist says, he couldn't do it, could you? And the guy says, no. And then the key thing is, the hypnotist then says, why not? And the amazing thing that always happens in this situation is that the guy gives an absolutely lucid, unhesitating, grammatically correct explanation. Of course, the explanation is utterly ridiculous. It has a logical hole in it the size of Canada. But the guy doesn't know that. And this is, remember, we're talking about Cambridge undergraduates here, very smart people, and the, the people are rolling in the aisles at what's being said, and the guy's, the guy's on stage, you know, he's just like, doesn't understand what's funny. And that really st- stuck with me. I realised that it's exactly the same. People are completely determined not to think about ageing as a really important, solvable problem. That's understandable, though, isn't it? It's... I want to stop you right there. Yes, it is understandable, until now. And this means that the pro-aging trance is a huge part of the problem right now. It is the number one reason why there is such a pitiful shortfall of funding for the critical research that can save so many lives. Is your position then that this is all a question of evolution, and because we are, we're able to build tools and do things and kind of advance, create technology, et cetera, that part of our 
evolutionary destiny is to figure out how to solve aging and live forever. Totally. Why doesn't anybody else think this? First of all, let's be clear. It's not that nobody else thinks this. It's not even that one has to be in this research world to think about it. As soon as I started getting involved in this field, way before I was prominent, in fact, before I was even, before I'd even come up with these big ideas in 2000, it was completely apparent that there was this utter polarization between people who just, well, it was completely obvious that what I was saying was true, and people who thought it was completely obvious that what I was saying was completely nonsense. And the people who would say that it was obviously true tended to be people with my kind of background, people who found it easy to extrapolate. You know, if, something, if a bit of something is good, then the null hypothesis is that a lot of it is better. So it totally went without saying. When I started talking about longevity escape velocity, the community that just got it just got it at once. You know, that wasn't, I mean, they thought, yeah, that's a cool way of saying it, but there was no way that they would think that it was anything other than obvious once they'd heard it. Right. Whereas even today, when the Sense One Point I stuff, the you know damage repair concept, has become quite mainstream, pretty much all of my colleagues within the biology of aging still run away extremely fast whenever anyone mentions longevity escape velocity. It, it sounds too far out. It's too. Yeah, it sounds like science fiction. That's right. But it's not. That's right. To go back to these seven deadly things, presumably they're all interconnected. Oh yeah. You have to solve all seven, I would guess. Pretty much. As I say, we don't have to solve any of them completely. But yes, I believe that we do have to solve all of them somewhat. What are these seven? Sure. So the simplest one, the one that everyone already understands the best, is loss of cells. In a given organ, cells dying and not like being... Like muscle aut- wasting and... Well, muscle is a kind of example, yeah. There are better examples. Cells dying and not being automatically replaced by the division of other cells. Clearest example probably in aging is Parkinson's disease where you've got a particular part of the brain, it's called the substantia nigra. It has a very special population of neurons called dopaminergic neurons. And those neurons make, believe it or not, a chemical called dopamine, which is a really important neurotransmitter. It turns out that the chemical process of synthesizing dopamine is toxic. It creates nasty stuff. Probably largely because of that, dopaminergic neurons die at a much more rapid rate than most other neurons in the brain. And they're not replaced. So all of us, by old age, have lost at least a quarter of the dopaminergic neurons that we had when we were 20. And that's fine. We've got that kind of margin of error. Nothing happens. But some people, as with everything in aging, the damage accumulates a little faster. Some people end up with only with having lost three quarters of those neurons, and that isn't tolerable. So that's why people get Parkinson's disease, because they've got not enough dopamine. So what's the damage repair? Of course, it's stem cells. What we do is we put cells into the substantia nigra, that have been prepared into a state in the laboratory that tells them what to do. So they know that when they get there, they should divide and differentiate to create replacements for the cells that the body is not replacing on its own. Everything about the other six is the same kind of stuff. But is it always stem cells that you need to... No, no, So in some cases, it's removal of garbage. So for example, atherosclerosis, the number one killer in the Western world, the accumulation of fatty deposits in the arteries that eventually leads to heart attacks and strokes, that ultimately arises from accumulation within certain cells in the artery wall, macrophages they're called, of oxidized cholesterol. 
Normal cholesterol, people think of it as a bad molecule, but it isn't. It's a perfectly vital molecule. Our cells are all perfectly able to process it nicely. But it spontaneously gets chemically modified every so often into an oxidized form which our cells are not able to process. And that form is toxic. So eventually it accumulates to a toxic level within these macrophages, and that makes them unhappy. And they turn into a kind of undead cell called a foam cell, which is the first stage of atherosclerosis. So the problem here is to get rid of that garbage, make the oxidized cholesterol not accumulate. Our approach to doing that is to identify enzymes in other species, typically in bacteria, that will actually break down this stuff. We get those enzymes into these cells. You know, there's lots of different approaches to that, but the idea is essentially we augment the ability of the cell to break stuff down that it doesn't want and thereby to avoid being poisoned by that stuff. So let's kind of throw it forward, like, I don't know what kind of time scale we're looking at, whether it's 25 years or 50 years or 100 years. I think there's a 50% chance that we'll get there in 20 years, just as long as the funding crisis doesn't continue. Right. So let's say that everything good, that good happens in 20 years. 20 years, I will be 60. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? So do I go in to have my checkup at 60 and they gave me, give me seven little pills or seven little treatments and then all of a sudden I feel like I'm 40 again? That's right. And you don't just feel like you're 40. You look like you're 40, and you function like you're 40. Plus, you have your hair back. I'll have my hair back? Yeah. Praise God. You want it? (laughs) Yeah, I do. All right. Um, (laughs) The outside of the body is the easy part. The reason why cosmetic medicine basically doesn't work very well is because the inside of the body is continuing to age and making it harder and harder for the skin to actually be nice skin. That internal stuff is not happening anymore. It's like a fruit that's putrefied on the inside, but you're still are trying to make that's the outside. That's a perfect look nice. analogy. So how do you do that? How do you reverse aged skin? It's- well, okay, so there are some things that we will probably want to do directly to the skin. So one thing that goes wrong, the reason why we get wrinkles, for example, is that the lower layer of the skin, which is called the dermis, consists of a network of proteins outside of the cells called the extracellular matrix, which needs to be elastic in order for the skin to do its job. We understand at the molecular level why that elasticity diminishes, why the skin gets less elastic. And we're doing something about that. In fact, one of our big breakthroughs here was to get real momentum behind eliminating the chemical changes that occur to the skin that cause this loss of elasticity. turns out that it's exactly the same chemical reaction that happens in our major arteries that causes... You remember I was talking about atherosclerosis? Mm -hmm. Another thing that happens, it's a separate process, is called arteriosclerosis, which is the hardening and stiffening of the arteries. It's a big contributor to high blood pressure in the elderly, so we want to fix that. And that's actually one of our projects that's in the process of being spun out into a company. So what does that have to do with the skin? Well, once the skin is no longer modified chemically in this way that happens continuously over life, once we reverse that, then the skin's elasticity comes back, and so you don't have wrinkles anymore. Um, Then other aspects of skin aging are to do with the cells themselves, like the fibroblasts in the lower layer of the skin and also the stem cells in the upper layer that give rise to the epidermis. In many cases, in many circumstances, the decline in function of those cells is secondary damage. In other words, it's damage that the body, the the cells already know how to reverse just so long as they are not given an increasingly hard time by other damage around them. And so, again, in our 20 years hence example, are these one-time treatments? Or is it, you know, from then for that day forward, you got to go in every other day and get some kind of injection or a pill or something? It'll be more like every other year or possibly every other decade. The point is here that 
that kind of doesn't matter very much. The therapies will, of course, like any therapy, start out being quite clunky and invasive and perhaps not even particularly safe. And as time goes on, rapidly, in fact, these therapies will become more convenient and more comprehensive and cheaper and so on. The schedule on which these are applied will, of course, vary in relation to that. Like, for example, if something involves surgery, we're definitely not happy about it. We'd like not to do surgery on people. Similarly, if it involves injections, you might be happy to do it once a year. If it's just pills, you might be happy to do it once a week, you know. This idea of basically turning us into a multi-century species, mm -hmm. that doesn't sound natural. It's not natural, but nor is fire, nor is the wheel, nor is any of medicine. Right. And we're generally fairly happy about medicine. There's not a cutoff for you? Of course not. What's technology all about? It's all about humanity determining what they want and manipulating nature accordingly. Nobody wants to get sick. And that's all we're fixing. Longevity is a side iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fact. Have you thought about the potential dystopic aspects of this? Oh, you're rolling your you eyes. You can probably you're tell. You're rolling that. your eyes. I yeah. think you, you've probably been asked this before. I find it quite frustrating that I get asked about this so much because it didn't take me very many milliseconds to come up with reasonable answers to these questions. It also didn't take me very long to come up with better and better answers, you know. And I've been giving the same answers over and over again in high-profile places. And it's not just me that's been doing this. Other people have been doing the same thing before me. But I still get asked. I never get people coming back to me and saying, oh, this answer, I don't think much of this. You know, there's this particular problem with your answer, with your, you know, or your reason why this isn't a problem, right? 
they'll just change the subject or go away and or go quiet or whatever. And the following day they'll come back and it'll all have been a bad dream and they'll have the same concerns. They, people just don't want to believe that this is actually going to be quite a good thing because they don't want to get their hopes up. But it's cowardly. How old are you? 54. I mean, are you kind of, are you doing like, you know, all these other things like caloric restriction? So, so, first, so first of all, I have the great good fortune to be well built. I am definitely biologically a lot younger than I actually am. And I can eat and drink exactly what I like and nothing happens. I don't even need to do much exercise. You know, I'm just lucky. I mean, plus also, you know, because I am in the position I'm in, you know, I'm making a big difference to the time frame for the defeat of aging. And that really is what I've decided to commit my life to. Um, you know, it's not my priority, really. There's one way in which I, I'm definitely at least slightly shortening my life, which is I don't get nearly enough sleep. And that's fine with me. I could say it's a net win because I'm probably hastening the defeat of aging by a larger amount than I'm shortening my life. But I could also say, you know, I'm not doing it for me. What gets me out of bed in the morning is not increasing my probability of making that cut. What gets me out of bed in the morning is the humanitarian imperative, the fact that every single day that I bring forward the defeat of aging saves literally 100,000 lives. That's the number of people that die worldwide from age-related causes. On that dystopic point, this could be, I mean, you could see a, a, a possibility where this becomes a kind of a, a two-speed we become no. a two-speed that's another, species. That's another of the stupid fucking things that people say. Why? There's absolutely no chance whatsoever. And again, I've been giving this answer for 15 years. Okay. What's the answer? The answer is people vote for what they care about. You know what Clinton said in the 80s? He said, it's the economy, stupid, when yeah. he was asked, right? Why is the economy? Because that's the thing. People care about their prosperity more than anything else. But of course, what he really meant was people care about their prosperity more than anything else that they perceive as distinguishing the various choices in the election. At the moment, there is nothing to distinguish different parties in any general election with regard to availability of these therapies because the availability is zero because the therapies haven't yet been invented. Mm. But if they had been invented and if there were a choice in an election between a party that said, we're going to raise taxes in order to make sure that this stuff is available to everybody who is old enough to need it. And a party that said, we're going to keep taxes low and we're going to let old people get sick if they can't afford it. Then I think we can be fairly sure who's going to get elected. And this is not exactly rocket science. People care quite a lot about their health. Even if it requires dramatic stuff, like, you know, compulsory purchase of patents and stuff, it's going to happen. And furthermore, it's all going to be played out before the therapies arrive. Because what's actually going to happen is that probably within less than five years from now, we're going to have sufficiently dramatic, sufficiently significant results in the laboratory, just with mice, to get to the point where everybody in the world knows that it's just a matter of time. And none of this bullshit is going to be... You're not going to be asking me these questions anymore at all. Nobody is. Because that's all going to be done. Everyone's going to know it's coming. And there's going to be a proper war on ageing. This is not going to be a war on ageing like the war on cancer, which was... It was a nice trebling of the NCI budget, the National Cancer Institute, but it was imperceptible to the general public, right? It was tiny money. This will be proper war. I mean, you know what happened with the credit crunch in you know, mm. 10 years ago. Money came out of the woodwork that most people wouldn't have imagined could have existed just because it had to. All of these so-called issues that might emerge in a post-aging world will have been totally worked through and worked out by the time these therapies even come into existence. 
So this post-aging world, five years you were talking about, is there something, is there an experiment you guys are working on or some research that somebody else is working on that's, that's going to be this kind of an inflection point, you think, where it's going to be like the collective light bulb goes on and Absolutely. we see that. Future. Absolutely. Since the beginning of my time in this area, I have talked about such a time. I call it robust mouse rejuvenation. I chose to define it numerically, and my numbers are pretty arbitrary, and they may be overly conservative. I hope they are. But what I said was, we're going to have to take a bunch of normal mice, and we do exactly nothing to them until they're already in middle age. Let's say two-thirds of the way through their lifespan. And then we throw a whole panel of stuff at them, whatever we've developed, and it causes them to be sufficiently well rejuvenated that they live an extra two years. Now, of course, those would be healthy years. And an average mouse lives how long? Maybe two years, two and a half years. So effectively we would wanna, doubling we would, we would want to go on the high end of the spectrum so as to totally give the um, message that healthy mice, by the standards of a pre-aging world, right? Um, let's say that at the real top end, which is about three years average. So take those mice when they're two and get them out to five. That's probably overly conservative. I think if we got them, it took them at two and we got them out to four, that would be enough to convince the world. I think we've got a 50% chance of getting to that point within five years from now. And that would effectively be by treating them with the, uh, those seven deadly, you got seven causes. You, you got it. Of course, we wouldn't have to develop those seven things to the same level of effectiveness and safety and so on that we would need for humans, but that's fine because what we're doing is proof of concept. And is that something you guys are going to be doing? Totally. Or At the in moment. This, in this building or? Probably. Well, maybe. We don't know. Five years is a long time in, in any research area. The way that we're going, though is at the moment everything is still focused on individual therapies plus you know a few enabling things like you know improving gene therapy and so on but yes we're gearing up absolutely to start combining therapies and is anybody else doing this in other words are you still a kind of a radical here or are you people are increasingly doing it i mentioned that we have now spun out a number of our projects into research into startups in addition there's at least as many probably more companies that are very much in our space and very much aligned with us we talk to them all the time is unity biotechnology unity is certainly one of them absolutely unity is probably the one that has had the greatest press simply because it's been able to attract the greatest amount of funding yeah the key thing there is it's very much a rejuvenation company. One of my seven things is elimination of senescent cells. And the seven deadly causes, et cetera, is that broadly agreed upon or no? Broadly, yes. Initially, you know, people were scared about so much of what I was saying, especially the longevity consequences, that they took a bit of time to be educated. But now, yes, absolutely, there's a general – you wouldn't find many gerontologists disputing the taxonomy. In fact, people are reinventing it and pretending it's their own idea. You know, that happened about four or five years ago. A paper came out in Europe from a bunch of very you know, senior and authoritative people. It's been fantastically influential. It's been cited, I think, literally once every couple of days ever since it came out. People who have nothing to do with the paper will put up the key diagrams from the paper just as kind of justifications for their own work. And, you know, it would be nice if I actually got a bit more credit for having said the same thing about 10 years or 11 years previously, but that's not my main thing. My main thing is that now the idea is mainstream. Where are you from? I grew up in London. I spent maybe 25 or more years of my life in Cambridge in England, and now I live here in Silicon Valley. And you were doing AI research originally? I was originally a computer scientist, yes. I was working in artificial intelligence for exactly the same reason. I grew up appreciating that humanity had certain problems and that... My ambition in life was to make a difference. When I was 15, I figured out that I was quite a good programmer, and I thought, well, okay, that'll do. I shall work on the problem of tedium, 
the fact that people have to spend <laughs> so many people have to spend so much of their lives doing things that they would not do unless they were being paid for them, and of course can be remedied by better automation. And that's what I did for quite a long time, and it was going pretty well. Was um, that in an academic context, or were you working? No, for actually, I graduated from Cambridge in 1985 and went into a company which was mainly known for its microcomputers, Sinclair Research. Oh yes, but I didn't work on microcomputers. I worked on Clive Sinclair's pet project, which was artificial intelligence. On the software side, he had basically two and a half people. Two of them, I guess, went off when Sinclair folded in 1986 to form this thing, Man Made Minions Limited. Man-made minions. That's right. And it essentially consisted of my colleague, Aaron Turner, going out and doing contract programming to pay the bills and me doing full-time research in my bedroom. Yeah, it was pretty successful. But we never got to the point of a product. We were too ambitious for that. And also the recession of the early 1990s hit at the wrong time. When I found out how extraordinary was the public attitude and indeed the professional attitude to the problem of aging, it was a no-brainer to switch fields. And why are you doing it out here? Why not in England? I gravitated to Silicon Valley essentially because this is where the highest density of technovision is, both at the level of wealthy people who are willing to do high-risk, high-reward stuff that's going to change humanity, and also at the level of youngsters who are passionate about getting involved and making a difference, just as I was when I was young. So your budget annually is about $4 million. Yeah. But you just, in the last month have got six and a half so we don't know whether that's going to persist right for all we know <laughs> cryptocurrencies are going to go out of fashion tomorrow so yeah it might not... actually be happening as we speak you don't say. i think we're going to be pretty conservative at least for the next year in terms of how much we allow that to increase our budget but it's a great deal more comfortable than it was two months ago that's for sure right if the payoff is so dramatic why is it so hard to raise money oh i don't think there's much difficulty in explaining that. In the private sector, people will not put big money into something unless they think they have a high probability of making it back in a relatively short time. The projects that we're working on tend on purpose to be the earliest stage ones, the ones that are the, the ones that are just as vital as the easier ones, but they're in danger of lagging behind and we want them to catch up because we know that this is a divide and conquer problem. Everything has to be reasonably well solved. This is, first of all, why we created ourselves as a non-profit in the first place, because we knew that most of our stuff that we wanted to work on was simply too early stage to be investable, even in Silicon Valley. And it's also why the spin-outs that we have created have been very much at the earliest stage. You know, they've wanted seed money in six digits and, you know, Series A money in seven digits. You know, every one of the companies we've spun out has succeeded in at least getting going, and we obviously hope that that's going to continue. But I don't think there's anything particularly weird about the situation from an investor's point of view. If we were to kind of boil down your approach, is it basically looking at the human body like a car? It is really. I always say, well, okay, what the hell is aging? It might be actually quite useful to have an agreed definition of aging before we get going. And of course, the Fact is, you know, people don't have this yet in their heads. People still are clinging to this idea that aging is some kind of enigma, some kind of mystery. It's nonsense. And the reason it's nonsense is because aging is simply a phenomenon of physics. It's not some kind of emergent feature of biological systems like consciousness that doesn't exist in inanimate objects. It's exactly the same for any machine with moving parts, whether or not that machine is called alive. It's simply the fact that moving parts, uh, entropy, you know, thermodynamics and all that, it causes damage 
to occur as an intrinsic side effect of the operation of the machine. And that means that we can absolutely look at cars or aeroplanes or whatever and ask ourselves, how do we already today successfully transcend the warranty periods of these things? How can we have 100-year-old cars that were designed to last 10 years or 15 years? The answer is exactly that. Periodic, comprehensive, preventative maintenance. Do you want to live a thousand years or a I don't give years? it a, Okay, this is another of the stupid questions that I have been asked several thousand times over the past 15 years. <laughs> this is the last, that was the last one, I swear. All right, all right. I think that having an opinion about how long one wants to live is pretty much equivalent to having an opinion about what time one wants to go to the toilet next Sunday. And you might have an opinion Please about what time explain. you expect to go to the toilet, mm-hmm. but that's different. That's just habit. Mm-hmm. What time you want to go, that would be a daft thing to have an opinion about because you know perfectly well that you're going to have better information about the topic nearer the time and you're going to be able to act on that new information so it's exactly the same i don't have the faintest idea whether i want to live to 100 but i do know that i would quite like to be able to make that choice when i'm 99 rather than have that choice progressively you know, removed from me by my declining health it's so bleeding obvious <laughs> I mean, how intelligent people can actually think that that's a sensible question? Well, because this is so far out of the realm of people's reality. I mean, you can shake your head, but it's true. Of course it's outside of the realm of people's reality, but the future is indeed not real yet. And Correct. yet people are perfectly good about reasoning about other aspects of the future. Of it's course, but this is so fundamentally personal. You can roll your eyes, but this is going to be part of the the selling of this. I mean, I don't, I think... I agree with that. And the one thing I've been saying since the dawn of time, another thing, is that for outreach, for advocacy purposes, there's only so much I can do. You know, I am who I am. I'm very good at what I do, I think, but I only do what I do. And so we totally need an army of people who are just as committed as I am, just as knowledgeable as I am, just as experienced in countering these crazy things, but they do their countering in different words, different forms of words, different styles, because different people resonate with different people. You know, I'm just doing my best, but the fact is, it is frustrating when nobody seems to know that I've given these answers a thousand times before. And you're probably going to have to answer them a thousand times more still. <laughs> presuming presuming this all works out when I hope it does. Well, I hope interesting. so, yes. Yeah. Look, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks. And that is all for another edition. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed it and it gave you some um food for thought. It all sounds super far out to me, but what do I know? Anyhow, thank you very much for listening. Please stop into Apple Podcasts, give a rating and review. It really does help. Tell a friend, tell them to subscribe. You can find me in the meantime in the newspaper at the Sunday Times, online at thetimes.co.uk. We've also written a short story uh, based on the, the interview if you want to check that out. And you can also find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson or email me at danny.fortson, F-O-R-T-S-O-N, at sunday-times.co.uk with any feedback or suggestions of new guests or whatever you like. Just please don't make it too abusive. Anyhow, I will see you next week. Thanks. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.